Welcome to our weekly Wednesday Shir. Tezayin Sivan, day Raises up so high, such as Yud Beis Tammuz, Yud Gimel Tammuz, which was a redemption, which was not only as by the Alter Rebbe, not only affected himself, affected the entire Kal Yisrael, entire Jewish nation. Friedrich Rebbe wasn't just a simple man being arrested. Not to the Russians, mm-hmm. and not to Chal Yisrael, not to the Jewish nation. Needless to say, it was unbecoming for a tzaddik, a man of his stature, to have to sit in the decadent, despicable offices and cells in which he was put through, the numerous interrogations and beatings that he received. When he first arrived, he was placed in a room, a hallway, Sitting there, as the Rebbe, royalty, we won't say Chassashon, getting depressed over his predicament, but not in his element. But that was very, very short coming as the Rebbe recognized the surroundings, so he was, and realized, and came about the realization of, what his mission was, in this God-forsaken place. Whether it was to think in the to say a bracha, to say a tefillah. This place, as there are many, many, many such stories of Sadiqim that had gone to Fakrachana Plata, little holes, little crevices, to say a bracha, 
to say a tefillah so that the place may be elevated. For the, since creation of the world, place has not been used. The Rebbe Rashaba's little boy went for a walk with his with I don't remember his father, his brother and they had to daven they couldn't just daven in the open place, open space then he looked for a little place to daven and they saw a little hole if you go into the hole it's secluded and they'll daven there as they went to the hole they realized it was not a hole it was a cave and they it was a long journey in this cave. It was a long cave. So they went into the cave, and there they davened. And again, the Rebbe, Friedrich Rebbe, knowing this story, this happening, applied this to say, surely nobody ever went into that cave. It was an undiscovered cave. However, the cave was since could be since since creation. Nobody was in there ever to make a bracha to a tefillah to learn teda. And here they were given the opportunity to do such. The Friedrich Rebbe sitting in the prisons thought exactly that now. My tefillahs, my machshavis, my thoughts, my prayers. Who knows what sparks I'll be elevating by sitting here. This didn't give the Friedrich Rebbe joy enough to jump and to start dancing and singing, but at least gave the Friedrich Rebbe peace of mind. A commodity which we all pray for, a commodity which we all besiege God, please, just give us peace of mind. We all, unfortunately, beleaguered. Some with panosa and some with whatever the problems might be. God forbid. And Hashem has to bless everyone. All these problems should be wiped away. The schools of these days now between. Tesvav Sivan and Yudbeis Tamas and Gimel Tamas. The merit of these days, we should all be blessed with clarity, with peace of mind, understanding who we are, who cares, and who wants us to be there for them, and who wants them to be here for us. So we have our life missions. We could be in Brooklyn, New York. We could be in five towns. We could be in upstate New York. We could be in the middle of Ukraine with the bombs falling all around us. We cannot become complacent, we cannot sit back and just cross our hands and say, this is my lot, this is who I am, and this is what's going to be, and this is what's going to become of me. 
one always needs to understand what they are needed for in this world. And the famous story, the person that came to the Alt-Rebbe and said, I need this, I need this, I need this. And the Alt-Rebbe answered, and do you ever think of what you're needed for? famous story is told of the Vilna tailors. The Vilna was a big town, big city. There were many tailors, very fancy, upscale tailors. Still little Yiddish, simple tailors. Couldn't really eke a living out, because the competition was fierce. They were nowhere near equipped or as talented as the others. So they decided, here the competition is strong, competition is big, let's travel to Derflach, to little dwarfs, there you'll find little sound, little cities, townlets, people that always need buttons sewn or things like that, and not all women know how to do it, not everybody had needle and thread even, or buttons for that matter. And maybe we could eke out some kind of living from this. And this they did. They started to go from town to town. Set up shop for a day or so. People brought their wares, their clothing. And they started making it not millions, but they started making, they started seeing some coins in their pocket. He came to one town and they set up shop and this Yid comes into them tells them he has a dilemma but it's not a dilemma that can affect him Shalom, it can affect the entire region all the Jews around he said my eye what's the problem he said the pirate is making a wedding the squire is going to make a wedding soon and he, I'm his manager, and he asked me to bring him some good Jewish tailors so they could sew the wedding party. No matter who I bring, he's just not happy. Now, if I don't find somebody, quick, I'm in danger of losing my job, my house, my family will be driven out of town, and... Who knows what he'll do to all the Jews in his area, under his regime. All the Lysis and everybody, he could drive everybody out. It's, you know, Masuk will do anything. So the tailors told him, <laughs> Give us a shot. Say, you nuts. Where are you coming off to give a shot here? This is, I had high-end tailors. This is Ahad Ha'gufa. Ha'gufa. He didn't like the high-end tailors. He wants something simple. Give us a shot. Got to lose. Couldn't hide. There's nobody else anyway. He brings these two tailors. And he brings the two tailors. And... Paris says, so we address. Let me see. And this they did, and he was exuberant. 
It's beyond happy. You got the job, guys. And so they sat down and they were daily, daily working with all the clothing and the dress and the pants and the suits and everything else. They got everybody fitted for the wedding. The pirates paid them handsomely. When they're ready to leave, Paretz's wife says to them, says to him, to Paretz, Hey, these guys are nice guys. They have a good tail, decent tails. Not great, but decent tails. In the time that we hit, they were here with us, one of the things that they expressed was, they told us the story how they got this job. And how this guy was concerned he would lose his livelihood and he would be driven out and all the Jews would be driven out. And they sacrificed a lot just to do for them. To save the fellow Jew. Moshka is in prison already by us who knows how long. Because his back rent. Who knows? Maybe they'll pay it. They like to save Jews. So the pilot said to them, told him the story, I have Moshke in the prison, he owes me money, maybe you guys want to bail him out. Paris did not know the big mitzvah of Pidyan Shvuyim and all these other things. So one partner said, no can do, I work too hard, I'm out of here, and I give you up my money. The other partner said, let's check how much we have. And they checked exactly how much they have. And they split it in half. And the pilots was asking for 300 rubles, which was exactly this guy's part. Okay. Paid. Moshka went free. By year, they come back to Vilna. And the guy who was economically smart and sound set up shop with his money he invested a good part of his money tremendous amount of money 300 apparently and he was doing well the other one got very depressed here he is away for all these months and nothing to show for it He sat himself down amongst the beggars. In fact, very knocked out and depressed and forlorn, forsaken. Boyin, wealthy guy walking by, and he says, Could you give me a few coins, please? He says, If I give you a few coins, what will you give me? He says, I'll love it for you. I'll give you a bracha. You should be successful. <laughs> Very cute. You know what? But the sense humor is good. Here's a few coins. That day, this fellow had a few business transactions, big ones, and they were beyond successful. And he said, wow. I mean, I'm not a shlamazel, and I've been doing decent, but like this? What all of a sudden happened here? Everybody wanted to do and everybody was ready to sell and buy it. Tremendous profits. Hey, 
Maybe it's the beggar. He dismisses it, but the next time he was going on a big business deal, he said, let me go past that beggar again. And he went past the beggar again and again, and he asked him, he gave him some coins, asked him to pray for him, and again it was successful beyond. And this went on and on. The benefactor, for a few coins, made millions. No, by him, and family asked, "My eye, how did you all of a sudden take off like this and become so wealthy?" The gizakt, <laughs> honestly, I, I believe it's the bracha from this peg, this is this pe- the beggar over there, the shnara that sits there. I give him money, and he ventures me, and it's always. It brings about, when it comes to fruition. Needless to say, suddenly, there are a lot of people lining up with a few coins in their hands to get brachas from this man. And here he was, this depressed guy, he used to give blessed people because they used to give him tzedakah. And he was just sitting there depressed and not knowing what to do and what's becoming of his life. Well, the Bashem HaKadosh came to town. And the Bashem heard about this man. He gives brachas. Bashem told Tamid, then bring him to me, please. And they brought him to the Bashem to And Bashem says, Ma Ato. What are you? Who are you? I know all the hidden Sadiqim around here. You're not on the uh, list. You're not on our WhatsApp group. Who are you? I'm a simple man. What did I do that? I didn't do anything. I just sit and collect a few coins a day. Why is the Rebbe summoning, summoning me? The Vashem said, Relax, my child. Please, pray tell me your story. I don't have a story. I'm a simple... No, no, no. I need to hear your life story. And the man began to tell... And then the man finally got to the chapter where he went and he gave away his money for Pigeon Shvuyim for saving this fellow Jew. Whom he never saw, never knew, never did before, never did after. For the Moshka. Now the Vashantav understood what it's all about. And the Vashantav explained to him exactly who he is. Exactly why he has the care of the bench. Why it was bestowed within him. And the Vashantav said, I want to sit in there and with you. And the Vashantav sat with this man for long, long periods of time, sitting and teaching him Tera. And ultimately with the Kayach of Brachas and the being the big Talmud Chacham that he became because then he the Bashem simply became a very big Tzaddik. So we see, we do not know the value of mitzvahs. We do not know what we can accomplish with a few coins. We do not know what we can accomplish with helping a fellow Jew.
But I have a regular business day. I do it day in, day out. I get up in the morning, go to mikveh, go to shul. I do have a same, my same routine. Same people. Day in, day out. Vuvan vas, they will have an opportunity. And she does tell, this is what the tailor says. We don't know when opportunity presents itself. We don't know what opportunities can present themselves with the most random of mitzvahs. Being at the most random places at the most random times, what effect we could have on a fellow Jew. How we could connect on an unconditional basis to the fellow Jew and by just showing some love and showing some caring with not asking anything in return you just happen to show the good smile say the good morning say the, be the nice person don't even have to pat the person on the back how much and how far that gets Klal Yisrael as a whole has exactly this Ashkacha. This Ashkacha practice, where we are, who we are, what we find, and where we find it, and how we do it, this is beyond our understanding. And therefore, we need to seize the moment, seize the opportunity. Every gearing moment, every living moment, every breath we take to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with our full heart, our full soul. And remember that tefillah, prayer, does not have to be Volumes. Does not have to be books and end. Tefillah could be a simple maidani. Tefillah could be a simple bracha that we make that gives us bracha, hatzlacha, and kayach. The Eden were in the desert for 40 years. They received the Tera. And they were in the desert for 40 years. Prior to leaving Egypt, one of the last deeds was Karim Pesach. And they were told to take the carbon, put it on the doorpost, etc. The blood. And this was their protection. And this is their mitzvah. And that every year you will commemorate 
the leaving of Mitzrayim with this mitzvah. Comes year one after the Yidin left Mitzrayim and they brought a carbon Pesach. However, unfortunately for some people, they were Tomelon Nefesh, they were impure because of the coming in contact with the corpse. Different opinions which corpse were happened this happened to them. But they were impure. And on Pesach, because someone's impure, they cannot bring a carbon. So they were in a dilemma that they couldn't bring when everybody else brought that carbon Pesach. But it bothered them. It bothered them a lot. Because they did a mitzvah carrying or burying this person and now they're getting punished for it. Yeah, by some reason being deprived of a mitzvah is a punishment. So they come to Meshach Rabbeinu. And they call out a cry, Loma Nigora. What do we do to deserve this? Why are we any worse? Why are we being diminished? Why are we being put down? That we do not have the opportunity to bring the carbon Pesach. This is one of the places that Moshe Rabbeinu, out of a punishment for saying, when the Eden, when he set up his beds in Sanhedrin, he told them, anything that's too hard for you, come to me. Shem said, to you or to me? Don't be such a Balgaiva, don't be such a haughty person, say they bring it to you. And because he said that to her twice, that he forgot Allah. And this was case one in this situation. So he says to them, Bleibstein, stay here. Wait. Let's hear what Abishah has to say about this situation, your predicament. And Abishah comes and says that fear is not my children. Yudalad Nisan is called in Pesach. Yudalad Ir will be what's called Pesach Sheni. There's no such thing as lost cases. You didn't lose any. You lost the opportunity of basic religion. But now on Pesach Sheni, you could bring the current Pesach as well. Then the tailor goes on to elaborate and tell us the law. And the Pesach says, Person that's Tommy the Nefesh or is too far away to get to Israel to Yushalayim. They and they didn't bring the carbon pesach in its time and you know it all listen. They were given the opportunity to make it up on Pesach Sheni Yidalad Ir. From this concept of Pesach Sheni 
being a second opportunity, we have two mainstay learning and uh, teachings. So, this making up of this mitzvah has two things. We have the opinion of Reb and the opinion of Hanina ben Akavya. The Rambam brings brings as well this situation. We are fixing, we are fulfilling, we are filling in something that we lacked. And he missed Pesach Rishon, he's making up in Pesach Shein. That's a filling in a void. Then there's Tashlumen, Loshen Shleimus, fulfillment. Pesach Sheni is a full yomta, full on, full fledged yomta in its own right. And this is what Rabbi says. And this is the Psak Din Allah in the Rambam. Pesach Sheni is a regal on its own, a yomta on its own. And therefore, it's in its own uh, merit, Yedalad Be'ir is Mane of Pesach. It's another date of which one is chayiv to be makriv. Anyone that did not do Kharbezah the first time is chayiv to do so in the second. So one is mixing, mix, filling in some avoid, and one is simply giving you a full mitzvah, full blown mitzvah. What is the difference between these two? If we accept the fact that Pesach Sheni is only to fix the bubu, fix the, the mishap that happened in Pesach Rishin, so the Pirish of Yudalit Ir is not really a time that's fit for carbon by Kravis carbon. The only reason that we're doing it is because we have no choice. You missed the first one, you have a second. But according to Rebbe, where you doubt that it is his man that the Tata established the actual yomtiv for makras and to being makras carbon. Obviously not, an obli- not ab- obligating someone who already did it Pesach Rishon, but now this person that didn't do it Pesach Rishon has that same chiv that he had on Pesach Rishon to get, bring it then to bring it now, Pesach Sheni, because of the circumstances, did not allow Pesach Rishon. Not if it was negligent and didn't do it on purpose. These two effects, completion and rectifying, 
are bound one with the other. If a person can add to something to make it to a fuller picture and they refrain from doing so, in this itself they already already caused a lack in the service of a person. The mere fact, the mere capability that one has to fulfill a certain thing, a certain mission, mitzvah, the person needs to see to it, they make up everything and to grasp the fullness of this mitzvah. Friedrich Rebbe spoke before about his prisonment and everything explained Pesach Sheni as follows and we find it very eloquently explained in the book known as Hayyim Yim for Yudalit Ir and he says Pesach Sheni teaches us Nishtok and Fafaun no such thing is lost we can always fix even someone that was impure and is totally entrenched in physical tivus or who's far away it doesn't have to mean physically it can mean spiritually they are far away spiritually from where they would need to be to be able to fulfill what they need to fulfill even then, if this is done on purpose, but still in all they can fix it. Which means to say that Pesach Shani has a lesson. There's always hope. There's always hope. Anyone that achieves to this level of remorse in whatever situation whatever situation that Jew finds themselves in the lowest of low and they did the worst of sins and they did it on purpose tells us the Tata, do not give up. There's no such thing as lost. Mm-hmm. My pills are on the top of me, I forgot about the So therefore, the lesson of Pesach Sheni 
is done even someone who didn't sin. A Jew, it says, Pesach Sheni, that is taught from Pesach Sheni, you can fulfill and you can fill in all the blanks you need to. Anything that you are lacking, anything that you are missing, you can make all this, as they call, make it up, fill it in, complete it now. For example, influence on a fellow Jew to bring one closer to Teda, which is Do we have ever missed opportunities in our days, in our lives that we missed and we forgot, we didn't, we overlooked, we passed by? Possible. How many times did I sit with somebody and not get them to put on film? I'd have to say many. Some of them, unfortunately, not unfortunately, some of them just simply were women and I couldn't get them to put on film if I wanted. But in the general basis, seriously speaking, Men that I sat with and I talked to, I had an occasion, unveiling actually, where I went and there was a minion of men, it was more than a minion, there was more than 10, 12 men. So before we go to the grave, we're still in the front of the cemetery, I opened my car, I said, okay, line up. One or two came and lined up, the rest I walked around one, one after the other, put my Tzvillin Shoresh in my pocket, wrapped up one one Yid Hashem should send him long life and happiness and joy and health one fellow said no every other guy rolled up their sleeves and put on and then one of them said to me he says you know I'm from Russia I said of course he says when I got by Mitzvah there was no children I never put on film in my life before. Wow, what a schus. Unfortunately, I am not such a Balmadrega. And I don't know how to always appreciate the great schusen that I have in mitzvahs. And I wasn't as excited. And I wasn't exactly going to make a bar mitzvah in the middle of the cemetery. I told him Mazel Tov, told everybody else Mazel Tov. We have here a kakafti to put on film for the first time, how beautiful it is and everything else. But I didn't make the hua out of it. I've had this before. Where I've met people that never put on film in their lives. And for the most part, for most occasions, I made a tremendous thing of it. We sang and we danced and we joy, rejoiced together. It's a big moment for the person, a big moment for ourselves, for us, to be able to reach and to be able to achieve, to give a yid the opportunity in their entire life never put on film, to put on film. So therefore, 
when we are sent, when it's put before us to reach out to help a fellow Jew, we need to do all that's within our means and in our power to do so. To show unconditional love. To embrace this person. I have one fellow that unfortunately moved to Florida. And I try to text him every few days. How is my favorite Jew? Before he left, I gifted him a pair of tefillin. Which is the usual thing when I have people that I'm in touch with on a weekly basis and they leave from their office or from wherever it is, we usually give them a pair of films so we know that they're going to have an opportunity to put on here for and forth since we won't be seeing them on our Wednesday, Thursday, Friday visits. So The other day, the other day, um, it's, it's just the opportunity just to reach out and to be able to talk to me. I sent him a, a text. He calls me the film, please. Because I'll send them every so often. A reminder to put on film. Says, How's the film please doing? So he says that definitely on Fridays he puts it on. For me, but he's putting it on. Not putting it for me, doing it for God, but okay, I keep, keep trying to convince him. I sent him a text, don't forget, Friday, put on film. He sent me back one of these memes or gifs, whatever you call it. The guy saluting in the army. Yes, sir. We don't know. We don't know whose soul we touch upon, how we reach out, how it comes across, how it crosses our paths. And we become connected, intertwined, our hearts, our minds, our souls. And we don't know how we could literally save their lives. In the most random way to cross paths with somebody and to make a connection for old guys like me with a big white beard scary, it's intimidating and yet for someone to want to talk and to want to see and want to hear and want to learn it's a merit Baruch Hashem and we continue and we persevere we're going to finish this year, we're going to go out and put on film with, with people on a weekly Wednesday trip before we go to work. Because this is the opportunity that we are presented with. And the Bashem said, we don't know the Neshama comes down into this world. This is brought down also in the in on Heir. And the Neshama lives for 70 or 80 years. 
just to do a favor for a fellow Jew. Spiritually, we don't know what good is bestowed upon us. And what we're completing for our neshama which comes down into this physical world. Generally, it's chat of Grab and eat. We need to save the opportunity, save the, the, the moment that comes across our path to do good and for a fellow Jew. And perhaps this would be what we are lacking as well. And therefore, when it comes towards the end of the parasha, we find Klal Yisrael does a favor. The Jewish nation does a favor. Miriam Anaviyah, Maisha being a sister, was struck with leprosy. Unfortunately, she spoke Lashnara, slander. It was a family conversation, actually. And she was only talking about her sister-in-law. But it was Lashnara. Therefore, she was struck with leprosy and had to go out of the Jewish camp. The Jewish camp stayed the seven days of her till she became clean and waited for her. Why? What was her merit? When Moshe Rabbeinu was a rebel. No, he wasn't a rebel. I'm reading the notes wrong. He was in denial. He wasn't in denial. He was in the Nile. Oh, that's so strange. Okay. When Moshe Rabbeinu was in the Nile and put by his mother in the basket, Miriam and Avia stood there and waited to see what would become of him. And the merit of her standing there and waiting, Klal Yisrael stood and waited for her. And ultimately, the Tater tells us in Sviks Parsha, Vaish Meisha Anav Ma'eid Mikol Adam Asher Apne Adama. Meisha Rabbeinu was the most humble of people in the, in the throughout uh, throughout the world. <laughs> Meisha, <laughs> be practical, Meisha. Where's your humility? How can you be humble? You went up into heaven 40 days and 40 nights thrice. Meisha Kibotayim Sinai. You spoke with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. You took the Jews out of Egypt. And Akash Baruch Hu tells them, they're always going to believe in you. And you were able to speak random freely today, Bishta. How could you possibly be humble? Moshe knew how great he was. 
He knew he was greater than any man. But he also knew that he had a lot of very good things going for him. Very high neshama, etc. And therefore he received all this from God. And his, count, his thought process was, had someone else been given the tools that he has, they would have gotten much, they would have gotten much further. And with that thought pattern, with that thought basis, on that basis, he thought and man and humbled his own rights, saying that I am great because God gave me this lofty soul, and because God gave me such attention, etc., etc. Somebody else would have had this greatness that I have, that God bestowed upon me, they'd have gone much further and gotten much greater than I. So Varta says, Meshe Kibotera Mi Sinai, Meshe Gavtera from Sinai. It doesn't, it's not proper grammar. Meshe Kibotera Al Sinai, Meshe Kibotera on the mountain. Not from the mountain. So the answer is yes. We know why did Sinai have the Terry given on her, on it? Because it said, all the mountains are so much greater than I am, there's no way the Terry is going to be given on me. So Sinai had the tremendous humility, and because of the humility of Sinai, that's why the Terry was given on it. Mesha Kibotera means Sinai. Mesha received his Terry, his Anivas, his way of behavior, his actions from Sinai. He learned the lesson from Sinai. Just the humility that Sinai had, he got, he took on as well. Okay, oh beautiful Vaitlach. We still don't understand really properly. I heard somebody say recently, I don't remember I don't remember where it's quoted from. Mesha was shown all the future generations until Mashiach comes. Our generation gave Mesha humility. The humbleness, the humility of Mesha Rabbeinu was because of our generation. He looked at our generation, our orphaned generation, smacked around, banged around, clobbered, tossed, desecrated and he said look they're still keeping Taylor doing mitzvahs wow wow I'm in a wilderness I'm in a desert there's no internet there's no any kind of tivus or any kind of anything that can any which way bring me to go and to go out there and do sins these people have Every moment of the day could be occupied, and the money situation, and the, the anti-Semitism, and the, all the things that we've gone through, were how far away from the Holocaust, and still in all, Megate Neshul, Medavent, Metut Mitzvahs, Shabbos, Yomtiv. How? Moshe says, "If I'd been this generation, I'd never be able to keep up." 
and therefore he got his, his humility from our generation. Don't be so proud. Don't don't pat yourself on the back. Don't become complacent because of it. Understand that we've got miles to go before we sleep. But we still have to understand the main mile of Meshach Rabbeinu he was a prophet and his prophecy was higher and greater than any, any, other, any other prophet the Pasuk says like, a prophet like Meshach will never stand up again you don't buy prophecy you don't sign up for it. It's not an app. It's a level of which a person is given. So the fact that Meshe Rabbeinu knew that Tafkehi and no one else merited such a prophecy, how was he humble? Where did he pile on all this humility, most you, most you, you, humble person ever? So we need to say that the foundation of Meshach's humbleness, humility, is not only a cheshbon that he made that if somebody else was with all the humility, with all the prophecy, and all the, everything that I have, they'd be greater than I. But this was an inborn. It wasn't calculated. It wasn't something he tossed and turned through his mind and said, Ah, I have to be humbled. It was an inborn concept of humility. And we find, if you can score at home, you can Aleph, Aleph. The Chazal tells us, When you are in the greatest and holiest place that God envisions you, there you will find humility. So it's definite to say that next Akadosh Baruch Hu, Humility comes because it calculated a situation. It's an inborn thing, an entity of its own. And so too was the humility of Meshach Rabbeinu. In addition, what he thought, that somebody else would have done better than, than I, he also had a humility which was higher than such Kishbeinus. And so too Mesha was an anav in his real essence and he was bottled before every person. More than that, the mere fact that the Cheshman that Mesha makes causes a concept of humility that's because his essence was human, was, was humbled. It's a simple thing, simple calculation. Each and every person can do for themselves. And still in all, not everybody reaches this level of humility.
the foundation of his humility of Mesha, Mesha Rabbeinu, stood <coughs> the humility of its own right. And this is true humility, true humbleness. <coughs> Somebody that has such humility can reach such a level, such a high level, to speak to God face to face, and still in all, to be humble, humble more humble than any other person, and to feel within himself, lower than any other person, this is the tremendous Maila of Meishu Rabbeinu. May we merit to hear once again Teira Chadosh and the Meishu Rabbeinu of our generation take us out of this painful gullus this very Shabbos and join the Gula as we build up to the Gula of Yerbeis Tammuz Shabbos to all.